I'm so upset, man. I'm so angry. It's actually embarrassing how bothered I am by something as, as useless, as meaningless and broken as the NBA all-star game and all-star selection system, because that's what the league has made it. The all-star game is a joke. All-star weekend is a joke. Players don't take it seriously. Maybe the three-point contest, the dunk contest, sure, although the dunk contest over the years has, has gone very downhill. But All-Star Sunday itself, the actual All-Star game, the main uh, main event, it's a joke. Players don't take it seriously. It's boring to watch on television. It's even worse in person. Trust me on that. So why do I care so much? Why does Sacramento care so much that the Kings did not receive a single All-Star, that they're the only team only established playoff team, top six team in either conference to not receive a single all-star selection. Why does it bother us so much? It's because it cuts deeper than just being upset for De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis, who absolutely deserved to be in the all-star game, who have, have the numbers and have the team success to back it up, right? They deserve to be there, not to mention the financial bonuses, the contractual bonuses that they receive for making the all-star team. It cuts deeper than just being upset for them. From a Sacramento perspective, it's impossible, or at the very least, very, very, very difficult not to take this personally. Because for so many of us in this city who love this organization, who love this team, it is a continuation and validation of feelings that we've had for a long time that we are, the Kings are, the redheaded stepchild of the league. That no matter what the Kings do, no matter what the Kings accomplish, there's always a yeah, but. The goalposts are always moving. Oh, you have a player putting up all-star numbers compared to their competition? Yeah, but the Sacramento Kings don't have enough wins. Oh, the Kings have all these wins? Yeah, but De'Aaron Fox isn't scoring as much as Damian Lillard did last year. This season, the Kings have the wins and they have the numbers, undeniable numbers. Yeah, but there's so much talent in the Western Conference. It's a coin flip. Some of these guys, they just, they have to get in. It never ends. The goalposts continue to move. This is why if you talk to a Sacramento Kings fan or see a Sacramento Kings fan complaining on social media or complaining about how they are viewed and how they are treated by the rest of the league, it's because stuff like this just continues to happen. By the way, welcome into Locked on Kings. You know all the words. My name is Matt George, whatever, who cares? I'm going to talk more about DeMontis Sabonis here and him being snubbed more than I'm going to talk about De'Aaron Fox. Not because De'Aaron Fox deserved to be an all-star less than Sabonis. Not because Sabonis is a better player than Fox or a more important player to the Sacramento Kings and their success than Fox is. Not the case at all. Because De'Aaron Fox is scoring at a higher level than he was last year. And it was because of his points per game as to why Damian Lillard on a significantly worse Portland Trailblazers team got in initially over De'Aaron Fox did. Remember, the Kings only had two All-Stars last season because De'Aaron Fox was an All-Star reserve. And the Kings were the third seed at the time. Truth be told, I came into today knowing that the All-Star uh, reserves were going to be selected, believing that the Kings were only going to get one. I didn't think De'Aaron Fox was going to make it because of a combination of, of how he's been playing recently, 
other guards in the Western Conference. And the fact that the Kings, even though they have a similar amount of wins this season to this time last season, even though all the experts said that the Kings would not be able to do the same thing this year as they did last year, because last year they were just, just had injury luck on their side. This year, the Kings have not been lucky injury wise. They've been banged up basically the entire season. And yet still here they are firmly in the playoff picture, but they're fifth instead of third. So I expected the Kings to only have one all-star. Because to me, Demondis Sabonis is, should be, and somehow the league doesn't feel this way. He should be and should have been a complete lock for making the All-Star game. Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns. These are the guys that the league thinks, that coaches think, fans think, the NBA thinks are better players, more successful players, more deserving this season. It has nothing to do with legacy, although I know legacy is is always going to play an impact in all-star selections, right? Steph Curry is always going to make the all-star game because of his legacy spot because he's one of the greatest of all time. Maybe you can, I guess, if you want to put Anthony Davis in there, fine, whatever. But we're talking about accomplishments this season, what the each all-star team every single year is all about is recognizing the best players this season. Sabonis is absolutely one of the best and is certainly better than Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns, more deserving than either of those two. Now, I understand the cat selection to some extent. I do. Because The Minnesota Timberwolves are first place in the Western Conference. They're having an unbelievable season. Amazing turnaround. Most of that has to do with Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards. And I'm glad that he made the all-star team. He probably should have been a starter and deserved to be a starter, but at least he's a reserve. He's there. Okay, you want to give the T-Wolves two all-stars and reward them because of how great of a season they're having? Fine. Put Carl Anthony Towns in there, even though DeMondis Sabonis has better numbers. Maybe not scoring-wise. Domas isn't scoring as much as... Carl Anthony Towns is, and I know scoring is king overall, apparently, except for in the case of De'Aaron Fox. Now scoring apparently doesn't matter for him. But Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, you're going to give the Los Angeles Lakers the 24 and 25, one game under 500, ninth place, Los Angeles Lakers. You are going to give them two all-stars and the Sacramento Kings get none. On top of that, you're going to give the center that Domas has never lost against ever in his career and is 2-0 against this season. You're going to give him the spot over Domas, over the guy that is putting up numbers this season that literally only Wilt Chamberlain has ever put up in NBA history. Wilt freaking Chamberlain is the only guy that has put up the numbers that Domas is putting up this year. And still, that's not good enough. Demonte Sabonis leads the league in rebounding. Sixth in the league in assists. One of the top players in the league in win shares. His impact on winning is undeniable. He's doing that on a team that is eight games above 500. Leads the league in double-doubles. Is on a 29-game double-double streak. Second in the league in triple-doubles behind two-time MVP, NBA defending champion and established superstar Nikola Jokic. This is the company that DeMondis Sabonis has played himself into. 
The numbers suggest these are the people that he belongs with. And yet he will not get picked and recognized as one of the best players in the league this season because Anthony Davis and the 24 and 25 Los Angeles Lakers deserve two all-stars. Are you freaking kidding me? That is a joke. That is why this whole all-star selection system, it does not matter how good a certain player is playing. It does not matter how good the team is performing because the goalposts will move or the criteria will change based off of the certain player. Oh, Carl Anthony Towns deserves to be in because the Minnesota Timberwolves have so many wins. But Anthony Davis deserves to be in because he has fewer wins, but more better scoring numbers than Sabonis. It makes no sense. It is completely broken. It is ass backwards. And at this point, it is downright insulting to call the all-star game the foundation or the, the platform, the stage, the showcase of the best talent in the league that season. And to leave at least one Sacramento King, to leave DeMondis Sabonis, to leave De'Aaron Fox out of that showcase. I don't know how much they care. I really don't. I think I'm probably more mad and more bothered by it than they are, truth be told. I know De'Aaron Fox told the Sacramento Bee recently, he does not care if he's an all-star or not. I hope, I sincerely hope, not that I'm rooting for anybody in the West to get injured, but it would be so poetic. It would be so wonderful for the league to ask you either Sabonis or Fox uh, down the road before the All-Star game if, if they will be an All-Star reserve. And for both Fox and Sabonis to give the NBA the double bird, say, F you, you didn't select us initially. We got vacations planned. We're going to rest up because we're going to get healthy and get ready to dominate the second half of the season, to make it into the playoffs and show how good we are in the playoffs and make you feel like bigger idiots than you already are for not including uh, including us in your special little showcase weekend that nobody cares about. It's insulting to those players. It's insulting to even the integrity of the league to claim that the All-Star game, that the NBA All-Stars are the best of the best in your league and to make blatantly biased, market-driven, popularity-driven, politically-driven decisions like Anthony Davis being in over DeMontis Sabonis. It's a complete, complete joke. I get why Steph Curry's in. Steph Curry's in because, again, a legacy. One of the greatest players of all time. The Golden State Warriors are 12th in the West. There are only three teams in the Western Conference worse than the Golden State Warriors. They have an all-star. The Kings have none. The Phoenix Suns have two all-stars, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Personally, I have no issue with that because of how stacked that roster is. Those two, their numbers are ridiculous, but the Suns, are a worse team record-wise. They are lower in the standings than the Sacramento Kings are. Make it make sense. They have the wins. They have the numbers. They have season-best numbers and historically-backed numbers in the case of DeMontis Sabonis. And still, 
Still, it's not good enough. Sabonis averaged 20.8 points, 14.5 rebounds, nine assists, shot 66% from the field, 71% from three-point range, had 15 double-doubles and seven triple-doubles in the month of January alone. And that is not good enough to make it to the All-Star game, to be considered one of the best players, one of the best centers, bare minimum, in the league like Sabonis absolutely is. It's absurd. The NBA should be ashamed of themselves. But I can't say I'm surprised. I'm pissed. You're damn right I'm pissed. But I'm not surprised. Because this is what Sacramento is to the league. This is what the Kings are to the league. This is why we feel the way that we feel. So all you NBA casuals out there wanting to say that Anthony Davis was the right choice or Carl Anthony Towns was the right choice, DeMontis Sabonis doesn't deserve to be in because of what he's done or hasn't done in the playoffs, even though, again, you're, you're, you're dumb for even presenting that argument because the all-star game and all-star system is based off of the regular season that you've had up to that point. You all are idiots, and you all make yourself look by, like idiots the more you try and build these ridiculous, nonsensical arguments for something that is as unexplainable and undefendable as the decision that the NBA made. But fine. Live with your decision, NBA. I hope De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis have a good all-star break. I hope the Kings in general rest up, and I hope they tear up the league in the second half of the year. Get to the playoffs. Dominate in the playoffs as well. And then, whether the history books were reflected or not, we in Sacramento will know that the NBA once again completely dropped the ball and undermined Sacramento and the talent in Sacramento because of the Kings across the front of the jersey. I'm done, man. I I recorded an interview earlier on this uh, th- this morning with uh, Will Z Stats. Uh, it's a great interview, great conversation with Will. Uh, I, I hope you'll enjoy it. I think you will enjoy it. Um, it. We talk about just some numbers, what the numbers reveal about the Sacramento Kings. We recorded this, obviously, before we found out if De'Aaron Fox and DeMonda Sabonis would be um, all-star uh, all-star reserves or not. So uh, I, I hope you stick around. If you just came here for this opening rant, I don't know if this is what you wanted to hear or not. I actually, like, I, I recorded in my car, I recorded like a like a 10 minute rant where I, I literally screamed at my phone and, and I had to delete it. I couldn't release it or my, probably my career would have been on the line. That's how pissed off I was when this initially came out. But, um, uh, I, I hope you stick around. I hope you listen to this conversation with Will Z cause I think it's really, really good. Um, but until next time, or for those of you checking out, I appreciate you. Uh, make sure the Locked on Kings podcast, uh, we'll have a, uh, an episode after tomorrow's, uh, Kings game against the Indiana Pacers. I hope the Kings take out some of their frustrations from this against the Pacers. I have no idea how it's going to go, but you can uh, you can you can tune in after, and, and hopefully we can just put this behind us and focus on what really matters, which is the Sacramento Kings continuing to win basketball games with two of the best players in the league, whether the All Star system wants to recognize them as that or not. 
Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked out for this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Looking down this, this list, there are a couple of really good names on there. Jared Vanderbilt, Josh Hart. Paul Reed, Aaron Neesmith. Let's talk about Josh Hart a little bit. Hart, uh, this is what Josh says, Josh uh, Lloyd says, Hart should be a big winner due to the Randall injury and could be seeing gigantic minutes for multiple weeks. Josh Hart, in addition to being a, a benefit right now through the uh, the Knicks injury situation, also is just a rebounding machine, a defensive machine, someone that maybe doesn't always put up the big numbers that you want to see fantasy-wise, but is a very impactful and an important player over in New York. And he's that type of player, that perfect type of player that can come in and help you win a week of fantasy basketball. Just be that slight difference, that one or two or three point sneaky difference. We all have our stars at the top of our team that are expected to carry the load, but a Josh Hart at the end of your roster can be the difference in you winning or losing a week. Josh Lloyd from Lockdown Fantasy Basketball is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. And it's the same thing with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly, whether it's brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay motor has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or you get your money back at, at these prices you're burning rubber not burning cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com ebay guaranteed fit only available to u.s customers eligible items only exclusions apply despite my self-proclaimed nerdy ways and the lord of the rings poster and dungeons and dragons books you see behind me i was never really one for math in school i like sports so much because there's a gigantic scoreboard that does that crap for me but stats of course are important in professional sports stats are a big deal in the nba and every once in a while i do my best will z impression and try to put together stats to defend an argument or to to track down some of the things and, and ways to understand this king's team but i can't do it as well as will z i've referenced his numbers millions of times on locked on Kings, so it's about time that i have the actual man behind the numbers here on locked on kings will z joins me my friends good to talk to you good to see you welcome in uh, let's have some fun with these numbers Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, one of my favorite things about tweeting out the numbers and posting them and everything is to have everyone else take them and use them for their arguments. So always happy to provide not just to you, but to the Kings community. Consider it friendly plagiarism. Let's let, let's let's deal with <laughs> I love that. It. <laughs> well, one of the, like I, I, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I did my best Will Z impression and I did a deep dive into the offensive numbers because I was trying to figure out why. Looking at this Kings offense, the eye test was saying it's not as good as it was last year. But you look at so many numbers, their scoring, their offensive rating, their shooting percentages and stuff. And it's actually, if it's different, it's minorly worse or in some cases even marginally better. There are a couple of stats that, that jumped out to me, like the Kings fast break points being down. Of course, their free throw shooting being down. Some things that are very different from uh, from last season to this season. But really, my takeaway, Will, was it's not that the Kings offensively have gotten dramatically worse from last year when they had the best offense in regular season history in the NBA. It's that so many other teams led by the Indiana Pacers are just offensively booming this year do the numbers kind of say the same thing in your mind and, and how do the numbers you think describe this 
offensive season that Sacramento's having. Yeah, it's so true. We're just seeing so many other teams just become so lethal. Pacers with the biggest example. And I don't know if it's just the free throws or there's been a lot of clips shown on Twitter of kind of the light foul calls. I don't know if it's that. For me, with the Kings, their offense feels a little different. It's starting to feel more like it did last year. Uh, They were so good at doing different things well on any given night last season and just taking what their opponent was giving them on defense. This year, they started out very reliant on the three ball and less emphasis on getting into the paint. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit more in the last few games. But it's just feels a little different, but the numbers are still so good for the Kings. I mean, you look at it and they're averaging uh, as I pull this up, sorry, I should have had it. And their three-point percentage, 37%, that's middle of the league. They're 13th. Last year, they weren't the best three-point shooting team. I think they were ninth in terms of three-point percentage, but they were leading in so many different other categories. And it's just they're a little a little lower in multiple areas across the board where other teams have kind of jumped them in a lot of different categories. One of those that stands out to me is free throw attempts. The Kings aren't getting to the line as much as they were last year. And then when you factor in that they are last in the league at 73%, that really kind of brings them down there as well. Yeah, I don't know if the numbers will reflect this or just the eye test will, because obviously in addition to paying attention to the numbers, you watch every single Kings game with us. You get the eye test side of things as well. Um, Mike has spoken before about he kind of lets this offense go with the flow. And I, I get the, the the sense that a lot of the Kings three-point alliance uh, reliance has been through the flow of the offense. Now, he has offensive pillars and offensive principles, one of them being paint touches and spray threes, meaning someone gets down low and kicks out to an open three. And the Kings do that fairly well. But I think one of the inconsistencies that we're noticing, in addition to Mike Brown's rotations this year, is, is Mike's sometimes inability to or unwillingness to draw up plays and go to specific sets unless it's a kind of a, a fundamental set that they'll run over and over and over again for different players and and ultimately setting up and getting different shots. I know the NBA is going further away from like set plays every time down and more kind of a free form, free range basketball. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering in the case of the Sacramento Kings, and again, I don't know how much the numbers reflect this. I just wonder if the Kings would be better suited to, in the case of last night, with how great of a night Keegan Murray was having with 33 points, would they be better off to, emphasize the players that have the hot hands a little bit more and and get a little more rigid with that free form basketball that they play. It feels like it. It feels like that's, they did more of that last year as well. Again, looking at differences between last year and this year, they did such a good job of riding the hot hand last year, whether it be like Terrence Davis, they had seven players score over 30 points and it feels like they aren't really kind of finding that and rolling with it. Last night, I think being a key example, you had Keegan with what was 21 points in the first half Mm -hmm. uh, and finished with 31? 33. Uh, 33, yep. Uh, And a lot of those points came at the end of the fourth quarter where they were just trying to see if they could get back in the game. Would have liked to see him get more touches and, yeah, maybe some more structure from the play calling to kind of get him this DHO above the – above the three looks 
above the break three looks that he loves to take off of the Sabonis screens and just get him more involved intentionally rather than in the flow. Uh, something that we haven't seen too much this year, especially with the uh, early emphasis of Fox when he was on his run, it just kind of limited what others could do. Let's keep talking about Keegan Murray a little bit because I know defensive numbers are not necessarily the easiest to track down. He's made a tremendous leap defensively to where I think it's pretty clear and the numbers support it. He's the best defender on this Kings team. Mm -hmm. I'm scrolling through trying to find it, but NBA University not too long ago uh, posted a number uh, discussing Keegan is one of the best isolation defenders in the league. Like he, he actually might be number one or is number one in opponent field goal percentage uh, against him in isolation sets. But James Ham had a theory on ESPN 1320's The Insiders recently that he discussed it at length. And I'm wondering if you see any numbers to suggest this or if you could look at his numbers of of the volume of shots he's been getting or the emphasis of Keegan Murray on the offensive end. We talked a lot about coming into this season. Hey, the Kings need Keegan Murray to be more of a scorer. The Kings need him to take a leap in that area and go uh, become a, a go-to scoring option for this Kings team. James Ham's theory is that they used the first 41 games to emphasize him to a point where it took away from guys like Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes, who we'll talk about later on in, in, in the podcast. But do some of the numbers reflect a overemphasis of Keegan Murray, or do you think he's, do you think that theory, I guess, by James is accurate or do the numbers suggest one way or the other? Yeah, I think it is accurate. His, if you look at his field goal attempts, I mean, he's never a high volume shooter in terms of like mid to high twenties. He's only broken the 20 point field goal attempt barrier twice this season. Um, but he's just so efficient. His field goal percentage just never really drops and he doesn't have multiple stretches in a row. But if you look at it, just his box scores, he's at from the beginning of the season, 13, 16, 14, 15, 12. And you just think about like Barnes and how rare his, and I'll pull his up too, to compare. If you, a fun exercise I think would be to look at how many games both Keegan and Barnes have shot a combined, like, 30 field goal attempts hmm. because it feels, and tell me what you think. It feels like it's either a Keegan game or either a Barnes game. Like we never get both. Right. This episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by LinkedIn. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move that I can make that'll make my uh, business go and rise to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team that you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have the, a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place for you to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats that you might not have the time that is needed or the resources needed to go through the hiring process. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. It does a lot of the scouting, a lot of the busy work for you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Curious too, you mentioned two games that Keegan had with only two with 20 plus field goals. Can you compare that to like how many games does De'Aaron Fox have with 20 plus field goals? Obviously Fox yeah. is the star. He's the go-to offensive player. But if the Kings want Keegan to get to that level of becoming, in my opinion, even the second go-to option offensively, because Sabonis's game is more to get others involved rather to look than look to score himself. I'm curious, like I, Keegan, in my opinion, should be taking or should have more than two games with 20 plus field goal attempts. Yeah, and Fox is at 25 this season. Yeah, um, and it's the same thing. We see Sabonis; he doesn't take a lot of field goals. Uh, let me pull up while we talk as well. I just want to look at how many each player on the Kings has of 20 or more. Mm-hmm. So bear with me for a second. But but yeah, Fox with 25. And when he takes a lot of field goals, they win. So in those 25 games for Fox, they are a quick little format check. 16 and 9. So a good record, not great record. Uh, but we'll be interesting to see kind of how that compares to the other players. While you're searching for those other numbers, uh, I mean, just in my mind, like I expect De'Aaron Fox to above and beyond have the most games with 20 oh, plus yeah. field goal attempts. Absolutely. He's the star. He's the leader. He's that number one guy. But if Keegan is supposed to take this leap and become the the other go-to offensive option, someone who can give the Kings a little more of isolation scoring. I think Malik Monk, I'm, if I were to guess, I'd guess Malik Monk is second highest in the team, unless it's Sabonis with 20 plus field goal attempts. And Malik has kind of carved out that role for himself from time to time as well. But Keegan, I mean, two games with 20 plus field goal attempts. I don't know if that's where Keegan needs to be more assertive. I don't know if that's where Sabonis and Fox need to more emphasize getting Keegan the ball. And again, last night's game is a perfect example. Fox is not going to be on every single night. So if Fox is is taking 25 shots and he's struggling from the field, somebody else has to step up and either take some of those shots from Fox or knock down a vast majority of theirs. And Keegan didn't take enough shots last night. Yeah, so this is really interesting. I just pulled it up. So we have Fox at 25, Keegan at 2, and Sabonis 2, Monk 2, Barnes 2, and that's it. Mm. So they own, like Fox is the only high-volume shooter that the kings have um that's really interesting let me look at while i'm here last year's again since we're talking about last year's offense versus this year's offense it's pretty much the same you had fox with 32 sabonis with two monk with two herder with one so they just don't really turn to anyone other than fox to get those high volume shots i've never really looked at it this way that puts a ton of pressure on De'Aaron every mm-hmm. single night to deliver. And it's just, again, De'Aaron is capable of carrying that 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 uh, torch, but asking him to do that 82 games a year, granted, of course, he misses time with injuries and stuff, but he, I mean, he hasn't looked right for the last month and some change with the exception of a few games. I think it's fair to assume that he's either tired or burnt out. And I understand the exhaustion or he's banged up a little bit. I understand that exhaustion when again, he is taking this high volume of shots every single night and nobody is even remotely close to him. To me, that's where Mike needs to kind of relook at this offense a little bit. I know the Kings are typically at the top of the league, if not number one in the league in passing and in assists. Mm-hmm. And Will, you can verify that. But I only, and I know understand there's only sh- so many shots to go around, but the Kings need to do a better job emphasizing the hot hand on any given night, meaning Sabonis or Monk 
or Herder or anybody needs to be, have, in my opinion, at least three to five games where they're taking 20-plus fuels, if nothing else, just to take some of that pressure off of De'Aaron. Yeah, especially Keegan. It feels like that's kind of his next step is to just do that more often because you see it when he gets going. He knows it. The team knows it. So just getting more involved. And to, yeah, to verifying the passes per game, Kings lead the league at 311 per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, next closest is the Raptors with 303. Uh, it's The Kings move the ball so much. We see sometimes it gets a little sticky where they aren't moving it. I think that's something that hurt them last night where they had so many pull-up shots. I tweeted this out earlier today. On They had 12 pull-up threes last night, 28 catch and shoot. They were 2 of 12 on the pull-up attempts and 10 of 28 on the catch and shoot attempts. And they get Mike Brown loves paint action, spray it out, hit the open shot. That's where you're going to get those catch and shoot threes. Whereas last night it felt like they just had so many looks where it was come down, pull up from three, ball never touches the paint. And it seemed to really hurt their rhythm and their flow on offense. Yeah, I'm never going to say that moving the basketball is a bad thing at all. And I mean, with the greatest show on court back in the 90s or late 90s, early 2000s, that's what that Kings team was so good at was sharing the basketball and moving the basketball. I'm just saying maybe on a night by night basis, there needs to be a little more emphasis on some selfishness for a guy other than De'Aaron Fox to put up a a, a good chunk of field goal attempts. That number is fascinating to me, Will, that Fox is that high and nobody else is remotely close to him. Nobody else is above two games with 20 plus field goal attempts. That's pretty incredible. But speaking of De'Aaron Fox, the number that jumps off the page for him this season is not just that his scoring is up. It's the three-point shooting, right? And we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about it. His percentage is up as well as his volume has significantly increased. Fox has established himself as a three-point shooter. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and that makes him virtually unguardable. That being said, there are times, Will, what I where I feel that not just the Kings have an over-reliance on threes. De'Aaron himself has an over-reliance. His best games over this stretch of four-game wins, that four-game win streak the Kings were on, Fox established himself by getting to the rim first, and then the three-point shot came. The Golden State Warriors game is a, is a great example. He established himself from the mid-range and at the rim, and then he hit those really those two big transition threes in the fourth quarter to help the Kings win that game. When you look at the three-point numbers and you look at the volume and you see that increase on a field goal percentage, that's great. But do you think it's taking away from the other strengths of Fox's game, which was that mid-range jumper and finishing around the rim? Yeah, I think so. And he's not finishing as well at the rim this year. Um, But that mid-range number is really kind of dropped off both in terms of attempts and percentage. So he's at 26 attempts this year and finishing at 39.8 percent last year he was at 3.4 and 47 percent and i think what helped him so much last year is he always kept defenders guessing on where he was going to stop and he's so quick and shifty and that little turnaround mid-range shot defenders don't know if he's going to do that if he's going to pull for a floater or if he's going to maybe pull a hezzy and get all the way to the rim And it seems like some of that guessing game for the defenders is gone without that mid-range shot. I love that he's become a legitimate three-point shooter and can make five, six-plus on any given night. 
I don't know. I think it's just kind of a give and take. I don't know if it's something that he should bring back the mid range because that's a tough shot in terms of NBA or just continue doing the threes. But I think him getting to the rim, especially against teams who like Miami don't have the best rim protection and they give up a high restricted area and floater area field goal percentage, just go take it to him. And that's where I don't know. I'm not around the players. Is he a hundred percent healthy? I'm sure that if he's not, that's harder to do. Yes. Hence the reliance on the three. That's, that's where I think uh, that's the biggest thing to me. What makes the most sense. I think health plays a big part in this. I think De'Aaron hurting his ankle early on in the season. And he mentioned he returned and that ankle still bothers bothered him and has continued to bother him. Of course, if your feet aren't right, if your wheels aren't right, the car is not going to go fast. Mm -hmm. So De'Aaron has kind of dealt with that. I mean, De'Aaron has, has dealt with injuries and played through injuries every single season of his career. And it's because he goes into the teeth of the defense. He goes into the paint. He gets banged around as much as he does uh, by big men. So I understand with the with the emergence of that three-point shot and his ability to hit that shot, if he thinks that can help him get through an 82-game season better by not having to go in there and get whacked every single time he's trying to get to the rim, yeah. I imagine he's thinking longevity of the season, longevity is in his career. There has to be a balance, though, there, Will, because he's still so elite getting downhill and such a nightmare for defenders that if you're going to say De'Aaron is is primarily becoming a three-point shooter, I think you're taking away a skill that didn't just get him to a le- the league, but a skill that is still very, very uh, powerful, even though he's not as young as he used to be. Yeah, oh, it's so true. Um, and looking just at the two-point percentage as a whole, um, last year, 52.1% this year. So you see that drop in the total two-point attempts Mm -hmm. um, in terms of efficiency. But it's something where I always expect that to start rising. We haven't really hit that. We hit it with Sabonis, or he kind of hit a groove inside. And I expect Fox to follow. I keep looking, and it hasn't gone up yet. We see games where he'll have nights where he goes like 8 of 10 inside the arc. And it's bound to happen. Maybe just get some rest at the all-star break or be a participant like it was last year where it's kind of just out and about. But hoping that he comes out strong after the break, after getting some time to maybe heal up. Well, when it comes to DeMontis Sabonis, I know that man is probably a statistician's like dream because the numbers that he puts up are just unbelievable. Now, some people call him empty calories from the Bay Area. Some people don't want to acknowledge him until he puts up numbers like this in the playoffs. Regardless, Sabonis, I could spend plenty of time and already have too much here on Locked on Kings and talking about how underappreciated Sabonis is. But I mean, the month of January that he's had alone, you put those numbers out earlier, just his ridiculous shooting percentages. He's got seven triple doubles in the month of January, uh, which only three other players in NBA history have ever done. I mean, it's just he he keeps doing unbelievable things and things that only Wilt has done. Or uh, mm-hmm. I, it's just I don't know how you can deny this man with the numbers that he's putting up. Are there any other numbers that you're finding, or any numbers that you just love looking at and paying attention to when it comes to Demonte Sabonis? Yeah, to me, it's just the efficiency, and I think this is why people don't appreciate what he's doing is because he's not a high volume scorer. He's under the 20-point mark, which feels like that's where people start paying attention is 20 points or more. It's just a nice round number. But in the month of January, he was at 20.8 points on 66.5% shooting from the field, which is just an absurdly high number. And it's not that he's doing 
he doesn't he gets his dunks, but it's not like all of his field goal attempts are just dunks and high, just easy shots that result in that high field goal percentage. He's just got his touch back around the rim. He's hitting his uh, mid-range shot. He's hitting from three, 74%, no, 71.4% from three in the month of January. I think all Kings fans are wanting him to shoot more at this point. Just Mm -hmm. keep taking that shot if it's going in at a 70% clip for a whole month. Right. But he just does so many things across the board where I could close my eyes and throw a dart at a dartboard and I'd hit a good stat. And it's just, like I said, it's a dream to find numbers for him because there's always something interesting to find. I want to squeeze this in really quick before we wrap up. uh, Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter, two guys Mm -hmm. that you look at the numbers and they've been tough to figure out this season. Ups and downs, inconsistencies, then explosive games from both of them, especially Harrison Barnes recently. But what I've noticed through my very, very minor surface level box score surfing, Will, is that on games where Harrison is getting more looks and taking more shots, he's more involved in other areas, rebounding the basketball. He's more involved defensively. And then the same thing for Kevin Herter. I think if there has been an emphasis on Fox and Murray and those guys getting their shots and taking some away from Herter and Barnes, you'd think, okay, naturally, if you're focusing less on scoring, you have more time or more ability to focus on rebounding. But I think psychologically with two offensive-minded players, players who want to be a scoring part of a prolific offense, if you're telling them and taking away what they do best and what they love to do, psychologically that has an effect on the other areas that they make an impact. The numbers are saying the same thing, or at least from what I've seen on the surface level. What are you seeing about games where Harrison is only grabbing one rebound when he's only taking two or three shots, but when Harrison's taking 11 or 12 shots, the rebounds are up to four, five, six, numbers that he should be able to grab on a nightly basis. Yeah, it definitely bears out that way. You look at Barnes and just sort his game logs by rebounds from least to most, and his field goal attempts two eleven, which is good. Six two nine one nine, and when you sort it the other way, his high rebounds eleven eleven thirteen. Then you have eight seven four eight twenty four twenty. Mm. He just, I don't think you're ever going to get that many assists from Barnes. No, if you do, that's been a great addition, but it's not something that the Kings are like Barnes. You need to pass and find some open teammates. I just don't think that's how their offense flows. But definitely the rebounds seem to have a correlation to when he's shooting, when he's involved, he's more active than when he's not. Well, Will, I think we've stumbled upon something here. And over the course of this conversation, the fact that Fox is taking that many shots consistently, 20-plus shots that many times this season and no other player is above two games of 20 plus shots. I think that speaks to maybe an issue with this Kings offense a little bit. I'm going to ask you to please put those numbers out so that, uh, I mean, this podcast will come out later today. So kind of a peek behind the curtain. I'm releasing this podcast. Once I found out, find out who the all-star reserves are and hopefully at least one of Fox and Sabonis are, are, are getting mentioned, maybe both of them. Um, but please put those numbers out on social media because I think there should be a discussion about those because I never, it never even occurred to me that that could be the case. 
And maybe, just maybe, there might be something there. So thank you for helping me kind of figure that out a little bit. This is why we bring guys like Will Z in, because they help dive into the numbers and reveal things that I never would have ever considered or thought of before. So, Will, thank you for doing this, my friend. This is a pleasure, and we have to do it again. Oh, happy. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. I wouldn't have found those numbers without this discussion. So it's been a blast. I appreciate it.